Welcome back to the West Bridgewater Public Library podcast. I'm here with Ashley Warren again. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Ellen. <laughs> we have so much fun talking about books, I think, and it's um, it's just delightful to have a th- kind of a theme. Um, this month is Women's History Month. Exactly. So I thought it'd be fun to focus on women's stories. They don't have to be true stories. They don't have to be, but just stories that... Um, that come up um, in our reading that sort of reflect the reality of being a woman mm-hmm. in whatever age the uh, books are um, set. And uh, we have a couple of um, additions to our podcast today, which is exciting. We're going to add in um, Gail McCarthy, mm-hmm. who's got a book to share, and also Laura Williams. But let's start with our books and just sort of set the scene. Um, we've got... Um, I know you read something that was really interesting. And yes. Is it based on a true story? It is a fictionalized biography of the author's mother. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. So what was what is that book? The book I read is Betty by Tiffany McDaniel. Oh. Uh, it takes place in the late 40s, early 50s in the southern Ohio foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, Her family is quite Mm -hmm. poverty-stricken. Her mom is white. Well, I should say her grandmother is white. Uh Um, And the author's grandfather is Cherokee. That's so interesting. And at the time, Betty, uh, the main character, is the darkest skinned of all of her siblings. Okay. Uh, So part of the story takes a a little lean towards... um, the fact that no one was really accepting in her town of a, as they call, half-breed child who had dark skin. (coughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So there was kind of a a common theme throughout the story of um, just the racism that the author's grandmother um, and mother faced um, throughout the story. Uh, She was just notoriously picked on and bullied for her skin wow. for the fact that they were poor. Uh-huh. Um, it's a coming of age story of oh. the author's mm-hmm. uh, mother. She there's in the LA Times review it says that the story started with a family secret. And I don't want to give too much away oh, with yeah. the with the book. That's intriguing. Um, but there is a year long years long I should say mm-hmm. um, unfortunate incident that happens within the family, that uh-huh. Betty is one of the only siblings and family members to actually know of the secret. Um, and she carries it with her, and unfortunately it, it affects, the, it's a trickle-down kind of thing that affects the whole family. Wow. Um, but she, the author wishes that she was able to meet her grandfather, the Cherokee Indian, because he really... Uh, there's a theme within the story as well that he tried to maintain as much Cherokee tradition as he could, uh-huh. um, especially with the author's mother. Right. Um, and I don't know if it's because she looked the most Native, mm-hmm. um, but there was definitely a connection between the author's grandfather and her mother that he was trying to pass along all the Cherokee knowledge that he had in the tradition. And she's kind of the keeper of all that now within the, the modern family. Right. Uh, so it was it was an amazing story. Uh, there are certain scenes in the book that are very, very heavy. Uh-huh. Um, but knowing as you learn about the family, you kind of go, oh... It, 
if it were any other family, it would be far more devastating. But knowing the dynamics of this family and there was alcoholism and some other things within the family mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, well, unfortunately, kind of, it, it's understandable sure. in this situation. Yeah. Um, but it was an amazing, huh. amazing book. That's so great. You know, it's funny because I just want to reference, I, I'm also uh, just finished reading um, um, Braiding Sweetgrass, mm-hmm. which also talks about Native American traditions mm-hmm. and maintaining them, how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. Because um, kind of like slavery, you know, chops the lineage off um, at the knees in terms of black history. Um, Native Americans were treated in a somewhat similar way with yes. the sending the kids to those boarding schools and yes. stuff. And now, wasn't Betty's father, didn't he escape that? Yes, he he left that situation um, and tried to assimilate into, quote-unquote, white culture as much as he possibly could. But mm-hmm. again, he was very Native-looking, yeah. so he, he stood out amongst the townspeople. Right. Um, and, you know, people were not always understanding and accepting mm-hmm. of someone of darker skin, obviously in that time period. Right. Um, so there was a lot of instances where um, very derogatory racial comments were made to them, um, mistakenly thinking that they were black because oh, they were so dark. Interesting. Um, and Betty, the author's mother, would kind of try to correct people, uh-huh. but then kind of dig herself into a hole because then you're kind of opening a can of worms with, well, are you black or are you native? Oh. And she would try to educate people, mm-hmm. but people were so unwilling to be educated that yeah. they would just ignore her and just wow, kind of switch back and forth between the derogatory comments. Wow, yeah. And isn't Cherokee, isn't that like a matrilineal setup in terms of their the way they um, maintain their culture? Yes, yes. Yeah, yep. so he was, her, Betty's father was very deferential, I think, more so than like a typical American Correct. male at the Correct. time. yes, yes. <laughs> Which I think is also kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. That's Betty by uh, Tiffany, Tiffany McDaniel. McDaniel. We'll definitely have to put that on the list. That's great. Well, the book I read is um, a biography of Margaret Butwise Brown, the famous children's author. And uh, I know you know uh, much of her life as well. Um, It's called In the Great Green Room. (laughs) And so, of course, that's a reference to Goodnight Moon. And it's by Amy Gary. And, oh, it was a fascinating true story. It was a biography, so Mm -hmm. it's a a real true story. Um, But what a life Margaret Wise Brown led in a short amount of time because she ended up dying very tragically and very suddenly at the age of 42. Wow. And she was engaged to be married to the man she really loved. Um, And she had a whole future ahead of her. And um, that was really uh, a tragic thing that happened to her at 42. But she started out um, living kind of a... um, a very comfortable life uh, with her family. They, her father was an importer, so um, they rode out the Depression with absolutely no problems at all. They'd start out in Brooklyn, they moved to um, uh, farther out on Long Island. But um, she was always a really creative um, child and very athletic and uh, went to school in the South. She had Southern roots. Um, and then kind of didn't know what to do with herself after college and came back to New York and did a lot of different things, but then happened to um, become an assistant to um, um, uh, Sprague Mitchell. What's her name? Um, Lucy. Lucy Sprague Mitchell, okay. um, who was a, um, an educator 
uh, very famous progressive educator uh, at the time, and she was trying to get uh, she was she set up a school, little uh, the little red schoolhouse, um, and she also. Um, started writing books and curriculum for children that weren't based on... In the old days, it, they, all the children's literature was really fairy tales mm-hmm. and fables. Right. And she thought that books should be about their real life. Mm-hmm. And so there's this big renaissance of um, children's book publishing, and Margaret Wise Brown kind of just backed into it by mistake, not really with any particular ambition at the time, mm-hmm. but helped uh, Lucy Sprague Mitchell um, editing um, uh, textbooks and also fictional books, uh, picture books. And then they discovered that she was really a, such a poet. So she ended up writing uh, like over 100 books herself. And um, her editor ended up being um, Ursula Nordstrom at HarperCollins, who, Collins, who was a very famous children's book editor and um, really could see the brilliance of mm-hmm. Margaret Rise Brown. But Margaret Rise Brown, just she was like on the fast track socially, <laughs> like... She had affairs with men. She had affairs with women. She spent money freely. She was really in high society in New York. Um, she just lit the candle at, uh, burned the candle at both ends, you might say. Um, but what a fascinating story. And then I ended up going back and rereading all the copies of the books that we have of hers oh. here. And they're, they're just so lyrical and mm-hmm. beautiful. And they're so simple. Very, very simple. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are just concept books. Mm-hmm. There isn't even that much of a plot, but the repetitive nature of the language and um, the, she even mentions, uh, the, the uh, author, um, Amy Gary, mentions that adults' parents enjoy reading them because they're clever mm-hmm. in a very simple right, kind of way. Right. They're, not, they're not cutesy, but they're, um, there's just a beauty to them. And so it, rereading them was really fun. And she, you know, I just I was amazed at how many there were. Yes, there she's just and just then she, um, she her she used many illustrators, so that was also kind of fascinating. The, the con, uh, her main illustrator was um, Clement Hurd, who did the illustrations for um, Goodnight Moon and um, Runaway Bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she was very prolific. She was so prolific. And then, um, interestingly enough, she was kind of ashamed of it. Like, she wanted to write books for adults. And people kind of poo-pooed her, like, oh, you just write children's books. But, of course, she's famous. That's right. She and she just liked children. She did like children. <laughs> she couldn't care less about contacting children. It was the funniest <laughs> thing. But she understood them mm-hmm. because she remembered what she was like as a child mm-hmm. and what her likes and dislikes were. So that was her... Her insight into childhood was from her own experience, not any experience with other children, because mm-hmm. she couldn't care less about socializing with children, right. which is so funny. <laughs> ironically. Very ironic. <laughs> so that's uh, In the Great Green Room by um, Amy Gary, and I'd highly recommend it. It was a quick read, and yet fascinating. And if, you have, um, if you're a parent or just someone who really enjoys children's literature, you're going to find it um, amazing, too. Um, and I feel like children's literature is still, like, really, it, it's just an exciting field, don't yes. you think? Yes, definitely. And as a children's book cataloger, you mm-hmm. must get to see all the new stuff. I do. That's so exciting. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just love reading children's um, picture books. They're just, you know, there again, like, I think Margaret Rice Brown is one of the first people who really sees the picture book as more than just for children. Right. It's for the adult reading right. it. Right. Don't you think? Yes. So that was exciting. Um, and then the last book we want to talk about um, before we get to our guests is um, something, the book that you both, both of us have read, 
and it's by Amber Ruffin and her sister, uh, Lacey Lamar. It's called You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey. <laughs> Crazy stories about racism. And, um, I mean, you and I both just thought it was hysterical and yet sad. It, absolutely. absolutely. How, would you, how would you phrase that? I can't even put words to it. I, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. The book opens with one of the most hilarious but yet eye-opening yes poignant stories probably in the whole book yeah yeah we want to get into a little Mm -hmm. bit um so amber ruffin is a writer for one of the late talk shows seth Uh, meyer that's right Mm -hmm. um and her sister Lacey lives in nebraska still lives in omaha that's right um and Lacey calls Amber on a regular basis to tell her these stories that have happened to her um, being a black woman in Omaha, Nebraska. (laughs) Um, The book opens with a story that Lacey has recalled to Amber about she went to a store and tried to pay for something with a check. And she has a check series that has images of historical black women on them. yes. And there's a picture of Harriet Tubman, and the cashier looks at Lacey and says, you have pictures of yourself on your checks? Oh, my God, that's so embarrassing. It is just eye-opening that people still say things like that, still are... Can't see the uh, uniqueness of someone's face. Exactly, exactly. Shocking. Yes. And yet, oh, so common. Yes, yes. So Amber and Lacey... Uh, switch back and forth between dialogue as to these unfortunate stories that have taken place with Lacey over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, Situations in malls where she's being uh, followed by store security. Right. Um, Well, I thought that one in Penny's was hysterical. It is. That's where the two of them are there with their mother. Yes. And boy... What a mother lion she is. Yes, absolutely. She's a, she's a force of nature. Absolutely. And it doesn't take any guff from anyone. Not at all. Not but at all. But that was so funny. I think, the, so, so Lacey's caught by the uh, security uh, people in, in Penny's, and they um, assume that she's been shoplifting, and then they take her to the security cubicle. <laughs> the, this, this, the, uh, the secret room the in secret the back of J.C. Penney's. Because the mother says, like, I would like to see that footage. Exactly. I would like to see the footage mm-hmm. that, you, that you think you have. And then she's, uh, it says, uh, he's knocking a special knock and slid into the office. And the mom, while yelling, knocked the exact same special knock and shouted, I know about your little secret knock. You're not so <laughs> slick. Anyway, it's pretty funny because she has them completely bamboozled. Yes. But um, it must be just exhausting. I, I can't, can you imagine daily? Can't even imagine. I think this the beauty of this book. I think is that, on the one hand, she's able to be kind of light and funny because mm-hmm. she isn't co- comedian, right? And yet she tells this truth that I think as white women, yes, we just don't even have no, a begin to experience, not, not in the least, and nope. understand nope. and how exhausting it must be to constantly be questioned. Mm-hmm. Remember the other incident where she um, she wants to buy this Rolex watch. Yes. And the uh, store, sh- the shopkeeper says, "Oh, it's too expensive." Right. They won't even tell her the price. No, they won't tell because mm-hmm. they assume she can't mm-hmm. afford it. That's right. And she ends up buying like two of them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I mean, it's just it's just insane. But it's real life. Yes. So Unfortunately, it really is eye opening. I think 
these are times when I think it's it's beneficial for all of us to become more aware of the 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 shoes other people have to walk in. Absolutely. You know, and this that's the the, the value of this book I think is huge because it's funny in a kind of you know horrifying way. Right. Yes. But um, you can feel both embarrassed mm-hmm. and ashamed mm-hmm. and laugh at the, yourself yes. and laugh at them and yes. laugh at these situations and think, wow, mm-hmm. that's America. Yep. That's the America that we all live in. Yep. But, it's a no way, but it's a side of America that we don't ever have to Absolutely. deal with. So anyway, it was, it was interesting. I'm glad you were, were able to read it, too. So those are our books. That's by uh, Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You'll never believe what happened to Lacey. It's crazy, crazy stories about racism. And In a Great Green Room by Amy Gary. And then Betty. By Tiffany McDaniel. By Tiffany McDaniel. And then now we're going to have a couple of other um, book reviews from Laura and, and uh, Gail. Excellent. So it's Women's History Month, and we're here at the library talking to um, Laura Williams. Hi, Laura. Did you read something that would be appropriate for our women's stories theme? Hi, Ellen. For Women's History Month, I chose to read Radium Girls by Kate Moore. Radium Girls is a nonfiction selection that we have here at the library uh, as a physical book, and it's also available as an audiobook on Hoopla. Wow. So I decided to give the audiobook a try, um, and I'm listening to it now. And Radium Girls is the true story of a group of women that took place in the late 19-teens. The book starts in 1917 and Mm -hmm. goes into the 1920s. And it's about a group of women who would paint the faces of watches with radium paint. And during this time, they used a practice called lip painting, where they would put the paintbrush dip it in the radium paint, and actually form a very sharp tip on the paintbrush by using their lips. So they were actually eating radium paint day after day, year after year. And that's really the the foundation of the story. Right. And the thing is, at those times, at that time in the 20th century, um, women were really getting into the workforce, weren't they? They were. And this was a prestigious position for the women. They were highly paid. Uh Uh-huh. They were no longer working in fields. They were given mm-hmm. the ability to um, go into a professional role. Yeah. These women around town were known as the Radium Girls. They um, And they were young. They were in their teens and early 20s. Uh-huh. They had left school, but they were able to support their families. They uh-huh. were able to buy themselves nice furs. Uh-huh. They were able to go out at night. Um, and they earned the top 5% of all women during the time. So it really was a prestigious position. Right. Um, Now, when did the um, harmful effects start um, becoming uh, known? So the women began to experience illnesses and sicknesses at varying times, but they all happened within a few years of their working at the radium plant. Mm -hmm. Um, Some women were very sick, um, very close to the time they worked, within, you know, a year or two. Oh, yeah. Other women, it went out maybe three or four or five years, mm-hmm. um, but significant illnesses emerged um, in, all, in all of the women. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, was it a depressing story then? As What, what, what really uh, held your interest in terms of, um, of uh, a takeaway? So it's a... 
it's depressing in the sense that these women became so ill, um, their employer did not take responsibility for them, even though um, they they really did know that radium was harmful at that time. Oh, wow. They were convinced, uh, the employers were convinced that because it was such a small amount of radium in the paint, that mm-hmm. the women were safe. However... At the same time, they they fully knew that radium was dangerous because in laboratories at the time, they were using um, lead aprons, they were using tongs, they would never handle the radium um, without any type of protection, Um, but they did not give that that information to the women. Um, So on the one hand, it's depressing in the sense of these women suffered terribly. It does go into pretty graphic detail as as to their physical maladies. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other hand, I think it's such an important story to be told and an important part of our history, both for women's history, um, history of labor, history Mm -hmm. of women um, coming up in society, trying to live successful, independent lives. Mm -hmm. And I think it, you know... It only happened about 100 years ago, which wow. in, in history really is a blink of an eye. Yeah, exactly. We've, come, we've sort of come a long way in that, in that sense. Um, but it is sort of the beginning of women really becoming independent, having their own money. Absolutely. Yeah. And these, these women, um, unfortunately, ended up destitute because of their medical bills. Wow. That's yeah. awful. So, but in, like you say, an important story to know about in American history. So. Well, thanks for reviewing that, and you would suggest it as a good good read? I would definitely suggest it. There's also um, a movie on Netflix oh. that uh, features a story that I hear is very good, uh-huh. and I think it's an important, por- important part of all of our histories to know about. That's great. So that's The Radium Girls by Kate Moore. Kate Moore. Great. Well, thanks, Laura, for that tip. Thank you. With me today is Gail McCarthy, and Gail is a big reader and has read, read widely and so, Gail, did you want to share one of the books that you read recently with the, with the patrons? Sure. The um, title of the book I chose was The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Great. And you want to give us a little bit of a setup? What's the premise? Sure. Um, Nora, the main character, is a woman who's middle-aged, and she has recently um, run away from her marriage, or her engagement, actually. She lost her job. Her brother has become estranged from her, and her cat died. And she felt that she had no purpose anymore in her life, and so she decided the only thing she could do was to commit suicide. Uh So she took an overdose of antidepressants. Um, Problem being is she didn't quite die. Right. She goes to a special place. She does. She, She wakes up in a library, and it's the Midnight Library, and it's run by her old elementary school librarian, Mrs. <laughs> Elm, who's quite a character herself. Right. And when she gets there, she is handed a book called The Book of Regrets, and Mrs. Elm tells her to, you know, choose some regrets that she's had in her life and to try to relive them. Yeah. She gives her the, the ability to relive any regrets she had, make different decisions, and see how that might have changed the outcome of her life. Right. Um, the the decisions are infinite. I mean, yeah. she has infinite possibilities, but she does not have infinite time to explore them all. Right. So she has to choose carefully which ones she wants to revisit. Yeah. What, what attracted you to this book, do you think? Uh, I was actually recommended by another librarian on uh-huh. staff, and I was looking for something that, you know, was kind of light. And when she told me the premise of it, I thought, well, that's not very light at all. <laughs> but it actually ended up being... Yeah, there were some crazy situations yeah, there in it. there were some very crazy situations. I mean, she came across 
uh, polar bears, and um, <laughs> you know, she she lived so many different lives by making these different decisions. She lived in Italy. She lived. Um, you know, on a boat. She, she was she was just everywhere. Right. And then she runs into someone else, doesn't she? Who, yeah, someone slider. else who was, who was doing the same journey as right. she is. So that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, and that was fascinating. And I don't want to give away the no. ending, but she certainly, um, she had a lot of issues that a lot of women have. Right, you know, she, right. She felt like she was, she had to fix everything. And everything was her fault. And right. everything that went wrong in her life was only her fault. Yeah. And, um, you know, she started giving up. And even yeah. going through the Book of Regrets, she started giving up. But once she started giving up, the library started to crumble. Oh. And then she needed to make some decisions really quick yeah. to decide whether she really truly wanted to live uh-huh. or whether she wanted to die. Yeah. And like I said, I don't want to give away the no, ending. But, no, um, it, it strikes me when I, I also had read it, and it seems like it really wasn't a depressing book. No, in fact, it was really funny in some parts. Yeah, yeah. You know, she, she was very wry uh-huh. and... Um, I think, especially the parts about her cat and her cat dying and the, meeting another cat with the same name. I mean, some of that was funny. And, <laughs> right, you know, right. It, she, uh, you know, she realized along the way that mm-hmm. some of her regrets really just weren't her fault. Right. Or they were inconsequential in the end. Yeah. It's such a typical... Um, I feel I feel like sometimes we're programmed into thinking that everything is up to us as women. Right. And, and I think that's exactly how she felt. Right. Right. So that any little thing went wrong, like the um, relationship with her brother. Uh-huh. You know, it's a two-way street. But right. she didn't see it that way. She saw that she was responsible for everything that had gone wrong. Yeah. And, you know, met him in several different lives as she explored yes. the Book of Regrets. And he really wasn't a bad guy, and he did not dislike her. Right, <laughs> you know, right. He just perceived that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, well, so it's really popular these days, too, so I think, um, and it's short, isn't it? Pretty it's very short, short. Yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's, you want to give us the name of the author again, just so people can uh, put it on sure. the list? Sure, sure. <laughs> Matt Haig, H-A-I-G, uh-huh. and um, it was called The Midnight Library. Right. Yeah, right. it's a fun, short yeah. read. Thank you to Ashley, Laura, and Gail for bringing some fascinating women's stories to our attention. Next month is April, and it's National Poetry Month, so we'll be sharing some great suggestions for both classical and more modern poetry that you might want to explore. So until then, this is Ellen Snowenbus, Library Director in West Bridgewater, saying goodbye. Goodbye.